Um, what challenges have you run into as you look to be less involved in day-to-day operations? Well, so initially when I was trying to reduce my patient care hours, when I was staying in the clinic most of the time, it was it was tough because I'd keep getting, can you take this patient? Can you take this, you know, this last minute patient? And it, w- it was hard for me to say no. So yeah. I've changed my strategy and I do actually stay home a lot more. Um, and I think that that's really changed most of the administrative staff. That's all they know of me. They, they don't know me as the one to go to for, I mean, they yeah. go to the operations manager and even customers when they have something that they want to say, they, they ask for the operations manager. They don't ask for the owner as much anymore. And I think it's just the way that it's being presented in them, that just the way that the staff responds to them, yeah. which is such a great feeling to me to be, because then I can stay focused and not get into all these tactical issues all the time that yeah. pull me away from the strategies. This is the Paul Goff Audio Experience, business lessons for physical therapists. My name is Paul Goff, former professional soccer physical therapist turned successful business owner and best-selling author from the UK. Each week, we answer your questions and bring you an inspiring story or person from the global physical therapy community. This show is dedicated to sharing with you everything you need to know to become hugely successful in private practice. Thanks for joining me today. Now let the class begin. All right, so um, back to back, we're doing these um, interviews for you. This one, um, I'm excited to give this one to you. This is with Kim Gladfelter of PhysioFit in San Jose, California. I was um, very lucky to uh, meet Kim early uh, when I first started my teaching business and and helping business owners. Um, Primarily at the start, one of the things I focused on was uh, done-for-you marketing, so we would do a lot of the marketing for clinic owners. Uh, but I also um, really got specialist in helping and working alongside clinics uh, who wanted to get out a network, who wanted to, to drop insurance and, and head over to cash. And Kim uh, was one of the clients that I got to work with very early. I got to head over to a clinic in San Jose, beautiful premises. Uh, PhysioFit is a fabulous uh, place in a beautiful uh, town over there in uh, California that I got to go and spend some time with. Um, Kim how can I explain to you about Kim? Kim is just a wonderful lady, a wonderful person. Uh, she's a great studier of business. She uh, loves to learn. She uh, consumes information from us, but massive action taker. Uh, she's in the CEO program with me, and um, often she sits very silent. She's almost like a silent assassin. She consumes the information, takes on board what everybody is talking about, and then right at the end, she comes up with two or three uh, insights about uh, you know that person's business that nobody else uh, did consider. So she is um, she's wonderful to learn from. Um, and she's a prime example of what it takes to uh, start a business that um, in the beginning was working very well, um, but because of those shitty insurance companies and their desire to make more money uh, than anybody else, it seems in the United States, uh, she faced the uh, she faced the, this difficult situation of having a reimbursement cut, like slashed very, very quickly. Um, so she uh, took that whole um, process of going from pretty much in network with every business to almost out of network uh, with every insurance uh, company. So this is an interview for you if you are looking for that courage that uh, you're stuck right now as an insurance business and you're wanting to get 
uh, at the very least to an out-of-network situation where you can set your own fees. Um, Kim's a business owner who dared to do what so many insurance clinics are dreaming of doing, and that is dropping insurance and charging much higher fees. Kim started her business in 2010 in San Jose and within a few years found herself running a clinic that was barely making two or three dollars a visit. Uh, she had nearly uh, 20 staff on her books and a huge rent to pay, uh, yet she made the brave decision to move out of network and completely change her way of doing business. Uh, these days, um, she is a seven-figure business out of network with most insurances and charges $250 per session. Uh, a far cry from the $83 average that she was getting a few years ago. I should say the $83 uh, chicken feed uh, that she was getting a few years ago by those bastards of an insurance company who seem to think that it's okay to uh, pay so little um, for a service that is so valuable and much needed by so many. In this episode, Kim talks about her journey, how she recruits staff with the right mindset for the out-of-network setting, skills and values that um, people need to survive in a clinic like hers, as well as how she continues to motivate her team to perform. Uh, Kim is a real, true walk-and-talking CEO, seven-figure business, runs it from the boardroom level, um, not so much involvement in the day-to-day -day treating of patients, more in the managing and leveraging of her team. She uh, shares her top marketing strategies that bring in patients without having to rely upon doctors. Uh, and interestingly, uh, Kim um, will tell you about the experience that she has that most of the problem patients, if you like, that she gets, uh, they actually come from doctors, which is foster down the path, even more so of marketing directly to the public. Uh, Kim is just amazing, love it a bit, has a ton of wisdom for you on this podcast, a lot of experience with running a physio business, and above all, um, she is living proof that it is possible to walk away from crappy insurance companies at any time you like. It's a true democracy out there, ladies and gentlemen. It is a true democracy. Uh, you don't have to wait until they've siphoned all of the profit out of your business uh, before you make the jump. So please, uh, if you're sitting there uh, thinking that you can't do it, well, this podcast might just help you uh, over the line a little and give you the confidence, the line of sight that I talked about on the last podcast uh, that it can be done. So uh, be sure to enjoy the show. Um, check it out. Leave us a review on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast out, please, with anybody that you know is just sick to fucking death of those crappy insurance companies and their constant wanting to raid your profits, which is pretty much every PT on the planet. So I expect this podcast to be shared out a lot. Anyway, enjoy the show. All right, so let's get into the uh, episode today. Very excited to share with you uh, somebody that I've known for quite a few years now and uh, had the privilege of even heading uh, over to San Jose in uh, or just outside San Francisco uh, to a magnificent company called Physio Fit, uh, where the owner there is Kim Gladfelter. Kim, uh, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you for having Good. me. Yeah, it's great to have you. When was it? I was at your clinic now, do you think? Three three years ago, maybe? It was probably about three years ago, yeah. Three years ago. So we've got a lot to uh, talk about. I know you've done a lot in that time and a lot of things have happened and you've grown as a leader and as a person. So I do generally think this is going to be uh, a great interview today. So tell us about your business and how you got started. So I started in 2002 and I was a traditional outpatient orthopedic physical therapy clinic. I started out with just me. 
um, hired my first employee a few months in and then ended up hiring my first physical therapist to help um, by maybe like five months in. Um, And then within a year, I had a pretty full-fledged staff with with an aide and a a couple of aides in the front desk and a couple of therapists. And then when I was... So basically in 2010, we lost one of our best insurance contracts and we were in network with most insurance, PPO insurances. And it it was 60% of my business. So it was, it was tough. That's when I realized that really, you know, there's so much that you can't predict with insurance and it was pretty frustrating. So what happened next? So I have 2010, 60% of your business uh, gets whacked. Did you see it coming? Did you get any notice or were you literally given a month or two and just had to get on with it? You know, it was, even though we had some notice, um, it's still, you know, it's one of those things where if it's really going to come to fruition or not, you're not sure. And I didn't really know what the impact was going to be, but it was very devastating to my practice. It's funny. Um, it's funny how many people are in that situation where even though they're getting noticed, so it's happening in New Jersey right now, one of the biggest insurance providers, not sure which one it is, but a couple of my clients are starting to make contingencies for um, some massive change that's coming in 2020, where the insurance company will stop or limit uh, insurance claims to no more than five for physical therapy, which my client estimated it will be well over six figures in revenue lost if that if that takes place early next year. And he is actively making uh, plans for that. And many are quite literally burying their head in the sand and kind of hoping that it's going to go away. And as you uh, rightly point out, some of these things, they, they don't. And when they bite, they, they, they bite you in the, in the butt in a big way. Right. So at the time this happened, we, because we were in network with most insurances, we really didn't have the skills to sell our services for to someone that was out of network and especially with this contract in particular they only pay $25 out of network and so you know I was I was hoping that people would stay because they like our service but they they most of them didn't um yeah and I think that we just didn't have you know I think we kind of were living in the mindset of being apologetic and that you know that we weren't weren't able to take their insurance anymore and that wasn't the way to sell people to continue on as an out of net customer and you know over over the years i had other insurance companies that just stopped paying for whatever reason for several months and it it kept causing a huge financial hardship and some of the people i couldn't recover and basically everything's in the favor of the insurance carrier and the, the patient has no responsibility. So I feel, I felt like I had to take hits a lot of times for situations that came up that were really unfair. Um, when all I was doing was trying to help people to get better. And it was just the headaches that go along with it. And the, the upset by customers that yeah. expect you to know if their insurance is going to cover it. And a lot of times there's, you don't get the right information. And so, and they, they hold you accountable for it, even though it's not something you can, can control. And then you could have a really good relationship turn sour quickly just because of that. And it was really frustrating to me. 
So how, t- let's go back. So to that, this is now 2010. How business is going along nicely? How many staff at this point? Pre, so pre these insurance um, upheavals, should we call them? Um, how was business doing? How many staff? I had a, a pretty big staff at that point. I probably had um, three and a half full time equivalent physical therapists. I had probably about um, at least three aides and two front desk people. And we had so many holes in our schedule and I still had all these employees that I had to pay. And it, it was, it was pretty eye opening to me that I had to do something to help with business strategy. Um, if I was going to continue, because I, I'm the type of person that I'm just determined to make things work. I will do everything to make sure that something happens. And so I stayed in that mindset of not thinking that I was There's a way. Yeah, you knew there was a yeah, way. Yeah, I knew that there was going to be a way. I just had to figure it out. And I, I realized at that point that I needed more help because this is becoming more of a business than just a practice. Because once you have that many employees, you really ha- you can't get away without having the business skills that you need. How many hours were you treating at this point in 2010? I was probably treating 30 hours a week. So as well as three full-time staff, three aides, two front desk, insurance chaos, you were 30 hours a week as a therapist as well. What was that like? It was very draining because I I didn't have any time during the day to dedicate to business. So basically I would stay up till the wee hours of the night trying to do my second job, which was running the business. Um, and there's a lot of times things that I needed to do during business hours. So it was, it was definitely a challenge. I, I wasn't paying attention to metric, even though we were, um, keeping some metrics, I wasn't keeping them regularly and I wasn't, an- I certainly wasn't analyzing them. I remember when, when we first met, um, back in sort of 2016, I would get emails from you, um, bearing in mind, I lived in the UK back then. And I'd get emails from you and I would be at my desk at, let's say, 8.30 in the morning, 8.45 in Britain. And obviously your time is eight hours behind on the West Coast. And I used to think, what the hell? Like this lady always seems to email me, but we always start, we always used to start like a real back and forth email conversation. And it would be like 12.45 a.m. your time. (laughs) And we'd still be talking at two o'clock. And that would happen regularly where you were somebody I always remember because we would, you'd always get me because I was in there early. There wasn't, you know, much happening, whatever. I was just kind of getting my day together. And I'd see your email come through and and I'd get a response from you immediately. And then I realized you're on the West Coast over in San Fran and, you know, you're eight hours behind. I'm thinking, holy crap, like this lady must be literally working like 15, 16, 18, 20 hour days. Yes, and I was. So it's 2010. Um, insurance starts to go belly up. Where's your business now? Just give us some perspective and then we'll dig into some questions about your successes and just things that you've learned in that that period of time. So in the last nine years, the insurance bomb got dropped. Tell us about your business now. Give the listener an, an understanding of how you've embraced that challenge, which we know you have, and you've uh, took that as an opportunity to grow and continue to grow. How many employees have you got now? Or the nature of the business. Just tell me the story uh, since that that big kind of uh, pivotal shift in 2010 to where you are today in 2019. So now I have 13 employees and I have eight contractors, a couple of people on leave in addition to that. And then I've got a few people that just rent space from us, about four people. Um, So we are definitely in a very different place because we've learned a lot of the skills to 
be able to co- confidently drop insurances. Um, we've the way we've handled it is we've dropped them a little bit at, at a time, um, and at this point we have pretty much other than Medicare, all very good paying contracts um, that are insurance that, that are in network with us. And yep. I, there's a huge difference in the headaches, you know, just the phone calls and the amount of time that you have to spend to try to diffuse situations. I don't have nearly that like we did before with um, now that pe- most of those private care, m- most of those people are paying up front. So it's just a totally different kind of energy and it allows us to put a lot more time into focusing on growth rather than diffusing situations that are bad. Type of patient that you like to attract and and some um, sort of marketing strategies. I know you're very big with your newspaper articles and different things like that. Tell us what, what the, the, the type of person that you like to attract there and just what your business stands for and you know, who it is you like to get in. So we, we attract the 40 plus group um probably 40 plus to mid 70s is our most typical and yeah. so our marketing is is around the, that that target market um and it's i mean we do see more females we see a lot of males too we have several specialties like pelvic floor physical therapy um some women health women's health physical therapy we've got vestibular rehab and lymphedema and then the general outpatient orthopedic as well um tell us a little bit about some successes you've had recently could be with profit could be increasing revenue uh it could be more uh, higher prices i know you've gone through a lot of that that recently raising rates you've done phenomenally well to get your prices where they are now or a reduction in your own hours yeah, give us some successes and what's behind that so we have recently raised our prices and also dropped another insurance that you know, so basically I'm I'm constantly watching the insurances that we are in network with still just to see if the reimbursement is going down. And so we've recently dropped one and then also raised our prices. And it, it's always a little bit of a challenge in the very beginning when we have a price raise. Um, there's more people than you know, just like everybody in the group says, it's you're surprised at how many people are fine with it and still continue on. Um, and even though people tend to think that they're going to lose all their customers, and that definitely doesn't happen, um, it's it's still a little bit of a ch- ch- uh, challenge in the transition. But it's usually within a few months, everything evens out, and it, we. I feel like we're in a much better place financially now since we've done that. Yeah. And so it's been really helpful. So give us some context. What did you go from and to? Because I, I remember when I came to your clinic and when you were just starting to get this really in, in play in 2016 where uh, it had almost hit a boiling point where the, the, the rates you were getting, the reimbursements that you were getting just went even close to being high enough uh, from the insurance companies. And the, the big thing when I came in to speak to your staff, I remember it visit vividly, was how do we get more... Um, how do we get higher prices? Because ultimately, that that's what you're, you're going to need. And um, I remember we did some calculations as we were speaking and as you took me back to the airport that said, even if we raise them rates, I remember roughly around about, if I'm, if I'm, unless I'm completely off, it was about, even if we get your, your prices to 150, 160 average visit, and that was three years ago, you would be more profitable even if you lost something like one out of every three patients who was coming through the doors right now and that's a big thing for a lot of clinics to consider that they don't and that 
that it gives you so much confidence when you do your numbers and you genuinely run it and you say look even if we lost one out of every three at this new price we're actually more profitable therefore we're going to have less pressure on the staff we're going to need less staff we are going to have room to grow uh, we're going to have more time for service we're going to be able to give more care for which the customers that we'll keep will be happier and are much more likely to pay and i, I remember that conversation with you so tell us where you went from your original out of network you know cash kind of price if you like to where you are today yeah so our, when i first started working with you our price was 95 dollars a visit and yep. that didn't you know when i started really diving into measuring what our cost per visit that was not cutting it so now we're at what, what was your cost per visit wasn't it something like crazy it was like 89 dollars it was like so high and i remember yeah, looking at it thinking oh my god like no wonder you were up till two o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah it, at this point it's it's more like 150 it varies a little bit depending on how full our schedule is but it ranges from 150 to 165 but what's the what's the actual um, cost for you to provide the service? It was so tight, wasn't it, back then? It was like $87 or something like that, and you were getting 95 on average reimbursement. Yeah, I mean, that's what our cost per, per visit is. That's what I'm saying. So, 90, so $95 yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's like 100 At this point, it's, it's 150 yep. Yeah. And what are we charging now? So we're charging 250 at the lowest. So it depends on if they buy a package or if they come just – one-off visit so at the, at the lowest it goes to 150 a visit i mean i'm sorry 250 yeah. a visit two so let's get this clear so let's go back so you were charging you were getting reimbursed around about 95 dollars a visit three four five years ago that's what our out of network that we were charging cost yeah. was and what was the cost to provide a service back then back then it was probably um pretty close to that actually there's probably like there was no wiggle room. I remember it being like a dollar. You were making like a dollar, dollar yeah. fifty on every on every visit, and I thought, gee, how on earth? So let's let's say that the cost of providing a service was will be generous, and we'll call it ninety three dollars. You were probably making two dollars a visit three or four years ago. Now the cost has gone up. You're undoubtedly providing a better level of service, which means you need more staff, and that's fine. And I remember your overhead, your rates went, didn't it? Add an extra ten thousand. Didn't something happen there as well with your rates over there in California? You mean for the rent? Yes. The rent. Yes, it went yep. up a lot. Yeah. Significant, significantly. So that added um, significant costs. So we're going to talk about that because I think this is important for people to factor this in. Okay. So we've got a hundred and fifty dollar cost of service to provide the service that that the people have come accustomed to at PhysioFit is now one hundred and fifty dollars, which included for anybody listening, you might think that's a big spike. Why? Well, if you are providing a better level of service, it does sometimes require an improvement or an additional level of staff. But Kim also had a huge um, price hike. Obviously, prices in California when the lease came to an end, uh, Kim's uh, monthly rent went through the roof like crazy crazy talk prices but now she's averaging a reimbursement of 250 dollars so there's now close to three figures daylight between cost of provision of service and actual take home pay as such for kim contrast that three or four years ago where it was close to two dollars we've increased the um actual daylight to the tune of 98 dollars, which is phenomenal considering where you were um you know where you were a few years back but what's important for people as they listen to this is that 
everybody goes through their version of um so kim's had a huge increase in her rent kim's had uh, a massive uh whack when it came to reimbursements being dropped we've all got these versions of that in our story whether it's losing staff whether it's reimbursements dropping whether it's rent rising whether it's just things that we didn't see coming happening to us i believe the business owner's job is to navigate through all of these things regardless and having the foresight to see that this is in 2010 you knew it was unsustainable in that business model to to drop as many insurances as were humanly possible and start providing a better level of service charging a premium for it and ultimately ending up with a significantly more um you know a significantly more profitable and key key words long-term sustainable that's again something that people are not factoring in as they make their pricing decisions you may just be scraping by on today's prices but is it long-term sustainable will it withstand one insurance company that you rely upon dropping will it withstand the landlord raising the rates by 25 percent will it withstand the ridiculous prices that pts are asking for these days which are going higher and higher regularly i don't see them asking for less anytime uh soon is your business ready for it and does it have the wiggle room have you had the 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 foresight to think that these challenges are coming down the line and are you ready um to deal with them so um so one of the successes uh most definitely profit per patient coming through that door talk to us about hiring um talk to us about some of the things you've learned about hiring over the years and particularly hiring for people who um are more willing to have cash conversations out of network conversations and dealing with the obvious extra um anticipation and expectation that comes with charging more money talk to us about those. yeah so i do when i am in the hiring process um for a physical therapist i definitely have those conversations about their comfort with that and i also share all of our core values with them and then i explain to them what they mean to us to make sure that they understand what the expectation is and then that you know get confirmation that they align with it and i ask them questions specifically related to the core values to get a bit better idea of showing examples of things that they've actually done like you've taught us to um prove that they really do align with that core value so for anybody listening who doesn't understand what core values are could you give me an example of maybe one or two of yours and and how you would potentially interview around that? so if you, we have six core values, and one of them is to deliver well service and expe- exceed expectations. But one of the things that is really key for them is I talk about um, one of our core values being humble and practicing gratitude. And I talk to them about I will choose somebody who has less skills but the right mindset because I, I definitely don't want somebody that's going to be arrogant in their thinking. And yeah. I, I make that very clear. For anybody that I'm hiring, that if I if I if there's any kind of arrogance that someone's a know-it-all that think they know everything, that that is not going to be something that is going to be, um, st- you know, that we're not we're going to stand for at PhysioFit. Yeah. So I think it really helps to set that expectation before they're even hired. What about questions in the interview? Can you give me some specific questions that you might ask? Um, I ask them to tell me, my interview is usually like an hour and a half to two hours, so it's it's pretty long, but I do ask them about um, 
specific things about how they've demonstrated that they exceed expectations and how that affected people. I ask them yeah. like if they have somebody that is out of network and they are, it feels like a challenge to the, to get them to do the, to sign up for the plan of care. I ask them how they handle that. Yeah. Um, so I ask them all the yeah. questions of the things that are most important because I feel like the out of network is going to be really important and the kind of conversations you have to have are really important to make sure that they have the skills because some of it is a little bit challenging. They have to come with the right mindset to begin with. Um, so I, I make sure that they yeah. understand that. There's two things. To, yeah, there's two things we need. We always need to consider when when we're looking for staff who will have that mindset for the cash PT realm or just you know the out of network conversations where obviously the upfront cost is more expensive. It's uh, the key word I've just wrote down there is willing and able. So it's not just are they able to do it because there are many very confident PTs. There are many PTs or even front desk people who are able to have a conversation about money and paying out of network. The key thing that we have to look at as business owners, when we recruit people, is willing. Are you willing? Same with patients. The big fallacy in, in our world is that uh, all we have to do is look for people with money. And if somebody's got disposable income, then they'll become a very easy client and they'll just hand over money and come time and time again. It is one thing being able, as in I'm financially able to do that, but it's another thing, am I actually willing? Do I, do I value this enough? to actually give you the money. Even if I've got a million in the bank, I'm not just going to hand it over just because I've got a milling, a mill in the bank. I'd have to be willing to do it. And I think that's something that's grossly misunderstood in recruitment is that we're not just looking for proof that they're able to do it. We're trying to sound out their willingness to do it. And that comes from asking questions retrospectively. And what that means is you're always digging into their past. The, 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 um, the scent, if you like, that they give you as a, as a, staff member and how likely they are to fit into your culture and actually perform to the standards you need them to all of the information is in the past and that's why kim is talking about there um what have you done you know how, how have you handled these situations what's your understanding of and we're looking for proof that the people who were about to recruit has done something like what we need them to do and assured beyond all reasonable doubt that they are not just able to do it but willing to do it and have that conversations tell me about any staff this would be interesting off the top of my head not name them but if you had any situations where you've employed people and they haven't been that willing and able uh or willing to to kind of take part in the conversations about cash and money and any pt or pilates instructors that have just been uh ob obstructive uh there as you've tried to to kind of exploit that route more any uh specific conversations you've had or problems you've run into oh yeah definitely i've i had <laughs> Um, a Pilates instructor was also an admin that was very against sales and, you know, thinking everything was pushy yeah. and, you know, with her attitude, I just it came to the realization that I needed to have a very frank conversation with her and really try to push her out the door. And, and we did successfully do that. And we since since she has left we've had such a better situation with the administrative staff with the mindset we have amazing administrative staff um as far as that mindset they're all very open minded to the to the sales and relationship building skills and they they appreciate getting those skills 
So where, where was the issue? Was she just completely from the get-go um, obstructive or just felt as though she couldn't do it and didn't like doing it because of that? Or just mentally she thought in her own head uh, we shouldn't be doing anything to do without our network stuff and people should always use their insurance because that's sometimes an issue that, that you can run into. Yeah, I mean, she just was in the mindset of any kind of selling is pushy. Yeah. In her mind, it wasn't education. It was pushy. And so she did just couldn't she's at one point she had said that, you know, that's the way she was raised by her mom. And, and this was basically ingrained in her yeah. <laughs> and she, she just couldn't overcome it. So, um, and then recently I had a physical therapist that came from a mill kind of setting and, you know, even though she came from that setting and I, you know, in retrospect, I couldn't ask her, um, questions that showed proof that she could do some of the skills that I needed. Um, and because of that, I had to give her the benefit of the doubt of her willingness. And she was actually very willing and had an open mindset. And the whole time that she was here, she had an open mindset, but she just did not have the skills yeah, for yeah. relationship building. And we had complaints about her regularly. Wow. Um, so I, I had to have a frank conversation with her again. And then, you know, I said, I'm going to have to cut your hours if you can't show, show that you can make these changes. And, you know, at first I felt like the skills people, physical therapists would push back and say, well, you know, I can't help if we don't have enough business, but then I just gained the certainty, the certainty through CEO that it is not, it is a lot more in their control than they realize because they're, you know, t- keeping track of their per visit average and having the objective measures to, to show that to them yeah. is such a big difference. Yeah, yeah, good. Love it. All right, let's uh, change gears a little. What challenges have you run into as you look to be less involved with patients? So you, you are trying to step back from patient care uh, completely back then, and you're even now starting to step back from day-to-day operations to be that leader of the company. I know you've got a big org chart there. Um, what challenges have you run into as you look to be less involved in day-to-day operations? So initially, when I was trying to reduce my patient care hours, when I was staying in the clinic, most of the time, it was it was tough because I'd keep getting, can you take this patient? Can you take this, you know, this last minute patient? And it, it was hard for me to say no. So yeah. I've changed my strategy and I do actually stay home a lot more. Um, and I think that that's really changed most of the administrative staff. That's all they know of me. They, they don't know me as the one to go to for, I mean, they yeah. go to the operations manager and even customers when they have something that they want to say, they, they ask for the operations manager. They don't ask for the owners much anymore. And I think it's just the way that it's being presented to them, but just the way that the staff responds to them, yeah. which is such a great feeling to me to be, because then I can stay focused and not get into all these tactical issues all the time that yeah. pull me away from the strategies. Love it. So let's let's d- dive into a little bit of that. So when uh, when did you? How many hours you don't really do that much PT now? How many hours are you down to? It's probably about five to six hours a week. So you were doing thirty. So talk to me about that transition. Um, when did you know you needed to step back? And this is where we're, we're going to dig in for people who are listening. There, they'll probably just turn the volume up now. So most of the people listening to this uh, show right now will probably be stuck somewhere in the business and treating patients. So you were in that point. You had all this chaos going on around you with insurance companies dropping bombs everywhere. You were 30 hours a week. You had a big staff. 
how did you start to step back from patient care? What was the, the, the driving point? What, what made you realize that this was no other option? And how did you start to transition out of patient care? I just realized that in order to run the business, I had to have time to, to analyze the business. And there's, there's no way around doing that any other way than stepping back from patient care because it's, I mean, besides your time with patients, you also have a lot of paperwork you have to do. So there's just not enough time to do everything. And I couldn't do it. I mean, just like that whole example that you gave about the cockpit and driving the plane and not serving the peanuts versus um, (laughs) driving the, driving the plane. I mean, it just made such an impression on me because it's true. It's funny, (laughs) but it's true. It's so true that you cannot drive your business when you're just treating patients all the time. There's so no let me let me give the analogy for anybody who hasn't heard it and is tuning in late to my uh, to my humor. Um, if you are a business owner and you are um, treating patients as well as trying to run a plane, you are the equivalent of a pilot who takes off. You know, you, you, the, the pilot takes off and uh, you're up in the sky and you leave the cockpit and you go to the back of the plane and you start to serve the uh, nuts and the pretzels and the beer and the wine. Uh, to the passengers on the plane, thinking that that's the most important part of the job, as if the part that the, the pilot uh, can just leave the the plane to fly and everything's going to be fine and there's going to be no hurricanes and there's going to be no turbulence and there's not going to be any bad weather or other planes up ahead or problems with the machinery or the engine. Uh, no, it's okay because we've started the business figuratively. We took off in the plane. Uh, and now I can spend the next however many hours just serving the peanuts and the pretzels. And sadly, uh, that's where most uh, people who run clinics end up. And they, I cannot believe, and I'm going to have to say it stupidly, assume that the best thing that they can do is serve the peanuts and the pretzels when the absolute only thing that the business owner should be doing is flying the plane. And you do that from the cockpit. You do that by spending time strategically thinking about the flight plan, the route, um, what the numbers are, you know, looking at your dashboard, your arrival rate and your uh, recruitment processes and your uh, onboarding process and what the number of leads is that you're getting and why they may be less than you want and so on. And that can only be achieved from being uh, in the flight, you know, in the in the cockpit, if you like, all the way uh, into the flight, not at the back of the plane serving the nuts, which is the equivalent of being in the treatment room. So you're serving the nuts. It's the same as the, the treatment. You're providing the service. But ultimately, what we want as business owners is to fly the plane and navigate it through through any you know un, uncharted waters or choppy weather or whatever it will be, uh, so that it lands uh, safely. Which in our case is at the end of the year, it, it arrives profitably. Uh, you've got a nice profit and you know a, a business that's ready to roll into year two or three or four, or whatever it will be. So uh, that was the analogy there for anybody who didn't know that that Kim is uh, resonating. I often uh, come up with. Uh, we had a wonderful ways of trying to explain sometimes our thinking as business owners. Uh, and believe me, anybody who thinks that, that uh, treating patients is the most important thing that a business owner can do, it, it isn't. It's uh, your plane will crash uh, eventually. And for many, it sadly, uh, it sadly does with the business going out of business or just being stuck. So I, I'm going to push you, Kim. How bad did it get to the point where you thought I, because I know everybody who's listening to this wants to do what you're doing or, or a lot, if you like, want to do what you're doing. And for many, it's going to have to be, there will be a day in their life where the pain will get so bad, the frustration will get so much, the stress will get to boiling point 
because that to me seems for a lot of people is the only way that they move they only move sadly when it gets so bad that they have no other option how bad did it get for you before you went you know what there's no more i can do here and i'm gonna have to start to drop patience yeah i mean it got bad i could feel changes in my health um just like you were mentioning um and i wasn't getting enough sleep that was my biggest downfall i just wasn't getting enough sleep and i just remember thinking well i mean initially i remember thinking oh well seeing the patients is what brings the actual money in. So I was kind of living in that mindset of, well, that's, that's what's bringing our money in. And then um, when I got over that, I still lived in the mindset, well, people are going to think that I, you know, that other physical therapists or if I'm not working alongside them, they're going to think I'm not really working. <laughs> I w- I convinced myself that they, that's what they were thinking. That's interesting. Yeah. So you genuinely worried about what other people in the office would think of you for not treating and also just for not being in the office i just was thinking that they were going to think i was just playing you know not really doing much and that they were the ones working hard that's what i mean it was i know that i shouldn't have been thinking that way but i couldn't control it at one point to think that but i don't think that anymore i mean that was a big part of the reason why i joined ceo because i wanted to get out of that mindset and I knew yeah, that if I committed yeah. to, to joining CEO and then just getting the strategies in place that I would get past that. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's, I love it. So many people are going to be going through the exact same uh, fears and doubts and holding themselves back because they're worried about it. I'm trying to think back to the problems I had. I don't think it was ever what my staff were, were thinking. I think it was what other people around me, whether it was family or friends, um, and even some patients, I always thought, oh, do they think now I'm sat upstairs on, you know, on my big desk, classic sort of stereotype business owner sitting upstairs in his office with his feet up, sipping cups of coffee all day. And I always remember as I started to pull back from patient care, that that's what a lot of patients would say. They would say it in jest to me and they'd say, you know, kind of very fun. That, oh, you'll be upstairs now, are you? When I say, oh, I can't see you next week because I'm, you know, I'm not on the schedule. Oh, you know, have you, have you made it now? Have you, you know, you're putting your feet up. Is it time to retire? You've made your millions and they'd say all sorts of crap. And I, I always remember thinking, I think that was one of the things that, that really um, kept me in longer than I possibly should have done uh, was worrying more about what friends and family and even uh, my uncles and you know people who were in business they couldn't understand how I wasn't treating patients so just like well how do you run your business if you're not treating patients so it's like well that is how you run a business without treating patients like I don't know now retrospectively what the hell I was doing for so long thinking that I was running a business because I literally was just serving pretzels and, and Heineken at the back of the plane like <laughs> I won't I won't fly you know running the you know running the company so uh, it's a big mindset shift for people to get over and you're right like one of the one of the things that you realize when you join the ceo program is just how many people are doing it and, and committed to doing it and you know that their their success is not just financially it's actually in the lifestyle you've seen some great changes in our in your group of people who at the start of the year um i won't say who they are but an obvious clinic owner just a few hours down from you south who you know, arrived with a few uh massive stresses that was putting uh on them from a business uh relationship that wasn't going well that ultimately led to marital issues that were putting pressures on and stresses and conversations between them and just questioning whether they'd done the right thing and all of a sudden what are we in nine months on they're they're turning out to be one of the success stories of the group because uh of the you know kind of foresight that you get i guess from being around other business owners who are living through what what you're trying to do so tell me leadership let's talk about leadership um how has that 
developed or how have you had to reinvent that over the last 10 years, five or 10 years as you've evolved into a, a, a true business owner? Well, so definitely with having more staff, I've had to develop leadership skills and good ways to communicate because you lose that ability to communicate as you get bigger when people have different hours and um, you can't all meet at the same time. And, and at, you know, at one point we didn't have regular meetings. So one of the things that I've done, I, I do have very regular meetings. Every week we have meetings. Um, yeah. And I feel like I've had to increase my organizational skills. I've also had to really increase my certainty of the way I talk to them about the direction that we're going. Tell me more about that. I love that. Tell me more. Well, basically, when when I present something, I have to make sure that I present it with certainty so that they can really, just like with patients, buying into the the mindset of really being able to help them, I have to provide that certainty to to the staff that we're going in the right direction. And that doesn't mean that I can't admit that we need to make some changes and something we need to tweak something because something didn't work as we thought. But um, it's, I think it's really important to show that certainty with whatever direction you're going so that the staff has that leadership to follow. So help me uh, put this into context. So in the past, you might have been a little uncertain and a little doubtful of yourself, if you like, as to what you're um, wanting to do and achieve and has that come across to your staff? And maybe because of that, they didn't uh, do what you wanted them to do. Right. And it was also just the communication skills and organization. Um, of, you know, now that when we run meetings, we have a very specific meeting structure that we use where we, we every yeah. quarter we have goals that everybody everyone on staff has goals everyone that's an employee um for the quarter that we call rocks and then we have to do's that that you're held accountable for and we have a a system that we use that you have your name next to this and we review it every week so people know that they're going to be asked about it we have issues that everybody can um help with adding to so that they all feel like they have a voice and yeah. I, I think that they really recognize that I'm trying to steer everything to help their life be, be better, not just for my, just not just for me to get rich, but for to help them to have a better working environment and to have um, their patients have a better situation, so that they can really make progress and get the best outcomes. Because then ultimately they're going to have a better job satisfaction if they're able to help people more. So are you communicating that better now as ultimately what the whole purpose of the business is and how everybody benefits? Definitely. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, with it? Definitely. I think they, they really get the the feeling like I am on their side to, and also to increase their salaries to what is expected for this area. And um, just because it, it used to be that I couldn't give raises because the insurance was always going down, but the, all the expenses were going up. So how are they going to give nice. raises? So, Interesting. Very interesting point again, and uh, something I haven't really touched on much. Another reason for having the price rises, and and having the ability to raise your own rates, i.e., stepping out of network or charging cash, is that you can control the profitability. Whereas for many businesses who are insurance based, because it's going down, literally the businesses could be getting bigger revenue, but the profitability is getting less. Not just because insurance is going down, but because people are asking for pay rises. And it's not long after two or three years for people who have been there and, you know, you've had to pay them an extra however many thousands. But all of a sudden, you've looked around and everything to do with money coming in has gone down. Everything going out has gone up. 
And that's what that, that's where a lot of businesses get caught somewhere between there a few years in that what starts with a certain level of expense before they know it there's been 20 25 percent added to it and at the same time there's been a 20 25 percent reduction in in reimbursements and boom that's where the hell starts to to, to happen and uh, people don't see that coming so uh good all right what else can i ask um some of the biggest challenges you've had with running your company give me one specific one i'd say you know, just making sure that I hire people that have the the right mindset for being yeah. able to build those relationships and um, sell the value of what we do and really talking with certainty. Um, I feel like we have a great staff that's that's really embraced that now, but but in the past, there have been challenges with that, of how to hire the best people what? and how to train them to the best ability. So what was the big turnaround for you then? Was it you just understanding it better or was your recruitment ads better? Like was your interview techniques better or, or what, what do you think it was? What was the big I think shift? both actually because I do put a big emphasis on that in the interview to make sure that they understand that expectation. Um, and we talk about the mindset. You know, I, I talk specifically about the mindset that you're willing to do this is really important to me um, and to our success. And I also can better detect when somebody is just telling me what I want to hear and not really show, demonstrating that they, have, that they feel this way or that they have done some of these skills that we need. Yeah, so it's your understanding of what you right. want is ultimately is yeah. what's changed. And this is, this is something that I've tried to, to teach and preach now from, from day one. All of these problems... That, that business owners are suffering with they don't go away they're not they're not exclusive to just wherever you're listening to this podcast and they don't magically disappear what happens that, that so you, you don't inherit better staff you don't all of a sudden live in a town or a place where there's better team or, or a better crop of people right in this case with kim and in every business owner that i work with when they have progress in these areas of their life in this case leadership and recruitment it's because they understand the role better they understand what they're looking for better. They understand what constitutes a good member of staff. They understand what their values are, what the outcomes are that they're looking for. They develop interview skills. They can grill people. They're prepared to ask specific questions that prove whether or not somebody's capable of helping them or not. And in doing so, better staff appear. Better staff start in front of you to, to develop. They, they um, could have been a bad member of staff for somebody else who asked them wrong questions and had um, a different view of what they wanted from them. But they develop into good members of staff or much better members of staff for people like Kim and, and the people that are learning these types of strategies because quite simply, Kim knows what she wants. And it's the old adage of, if you know what you want, you'll often find it. You'll often uh, get what you're looking for in this life. And most people ask the types of questions that they ultimately end up with people with shitty standards or you know values that are different. I'm not gonna say poor values because that's not wrong. They just, that, that's wrong. They just have different values than other people um, than, than you might want as a business owner. So you've got to get very clear on these and this is the skills. These are the things that I talk and teach and coach around that you have to face up to as a business owner, that you've got people around you and ultimately whether or not they become good members of staff is largely 
down to you and what you're looking for and ultimately what world or what greenhouse what environment that you bring them into in your business and whether or not they bloom and they blossom or they die out and and they give you you know a pain in the ass for the next however many uh weeks months and years so kim what's your time commitment to marketing some of the things that are working for you right now well i have a marketing manager who does she her hours are 32 hours a week but in addition to that i meet with her every week for at least an hour and then my operations manager also has she's a liaison for some things that involve marketing um and then we have also a, a combined meeting with our marketing and sales lead with me as well so we put we put actually a, probably between everybody at least at least a full times hours worth into marketing alone specifically what's working for you um well we are having success with our articles that we put in the local paper yeah um, so that's one thing and then we are doing google adwords and that is yep. successful um we still we still do have a lot of people that say they kind of come from the doctors so it's a little bit more of a challenge yep. in the sale because if they haven't seen our marketing we have to have even better skills with showing the value. Yeah. And I feel like this this current stuff that we have have really stepped up to matching that because that's still such a big place that we get people. Even though we're not actively marketing to doctors, we still get a lot that's, that yeah, say yeah. that they found us on a list somewhere just because we've been around for a long time and that was our original strategy. So when it comes to getting um, easier buy-in from patients now for your out-of-network prices, you're saying that they are better if they've seen your marketing, i.e. they've found you off Google and seen the website or they've read your newspaper articles or your social media or your Facebook ads, if they've come in via that media, they are easier to work with on an out-of-network basis than if they've been referred by a doctor. Well, they're easier to convert because they've already yep. got that, you know, like you talk about the preeminence. So they, they've already got a lot of that um, from seeing things that we've put out there. If they come and they haven't seen any of that, then we have to have even better skills on our sales end to, yep, to um, get them to convert. And so, um, you know, we recognize that a lot of times it takes a while to convert them and we have to slow down the process sometimes more than what we've done. We've talked about that recently um, about having more discovery visits and also just recognizing that some people that are going to you know, price is their biggest issue. And then just understanding that, that you don't focus on the fact that you couldn't convert everybody. I love it. Kim, you are one of my favorite students. <laughs> <laughs> you are one of my favorite students. Um, yeah. And again, for everybody listening, so you've had me talk and teach a lot about the difference between um, a preeminent uh, clinic and a non-preeminent clinic, massive in the sales book uh, where I teach it in chapter two and kind of identify how when a patient comes from a doctor in the past that was the holy grail that if you got a referral from a doctor it was you know great news uh, dr shane has referred us you know blah 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 great come on it when the prices were five dollars and ten dollar kind of call pays that was dead easy now the issue is that same doctor refers to you and you're talking about fees of 250 dollars per session 
without preeminence, it's not happening. It just isn't. It isn't going to happen in a million years. And I keep using the phrase cuckoo land. It's like people living in literally la-la land if they think that, that a referral from a doctor means that people will just pay out of pocket or pay even $75, $80 co pays. Like it, it just doesn't and isn't happening. But because of the marketing that Kim does, she has uh, regular newspaper articles positioning herself um, as an expert talking about health tips and just movement advice and exercises and you know various different things that people in San Jose can do. She's positioned as preeminent. And that means when they call, they're bought into Kim and Kim's philosophy and her company's philosophy. Google Ads positioned as number one. I spoke about it a lot uh, recently with the Accelerator program coming up uh, as I record this. The uh, concept of Google Ads number one on Google, on the biggest search engine in the world, onto a very well-designed, I've seen your website, it's amazing great i'm not even going to say looks great it's positioned at your clinic as being an obvious first choice who can solve specific problems for people who want to keep active who want to keep away from drugs and pills and out of the doctor's office the combination of all of these things uh and your facebook ads which i know you've you've done a lot on that type of thing and social media as well is what causes people to call you and be more likely to want to hire you even though you're $250 more expensive than the guy or the girl um, around the corner. So a big thing for people to factor in as they listen to this, if you are trying to move to out of network or trying to move to a cash pay model, you will not do it without marketing. And I'll say it again, time and time and time again, you will not do it without marketing and it will be a struggle uh, to get people who are referred from doctors who don't know anything about you to pay decent fees that you're gonna have to charge to make money. Um, And for anybody who's just starting out, in out of network or cash kind of model revenue uh, coming through your your door you will absolutely have to have it you'll get away with it for the first year because they'll be talking about you as the practitioner um, and that'll get enough people across the line but the minute you start to scale and it becomes more about the business it becomes harder and harder to get people to pay big big sums that you're going to have to charge in order to make a profit kim's story is is one you should listen to in the profit margin squeezed rent goes up boom, all of a sudden cost of doing business versus the actual profit, the difference is one or two dollars and it, and it, and it ain't very long uh, before those doors usually close on most businesses. So it's uh, a testament to Kim for uh, looking into the future, if you like, and being prepared to do something about it and not get uh, sucked into. So uh, we talked about CEO, the, the mastermind. Biggest lessons that you've learned uh, since joining uh, CEO in, in January? I think one of the big things is just having that focus of figuring out what what is it that you need right now and focusing on that for the quarter. Um, And then just trying to analyze what's gone on the whole last quarter with the questions that you asked so that we can figure out what what is the thing that we, you know, if you have to choose something, what is it that you want to work on and being held accountable to that. And then just having, because everybody that does the CEO is really, dedicated to running a really sound business. So the people I'm I'm constantly having conversations with other people in my group, um, even outside of the the time we meet in Florida, uh, bouncing ideas off of each other in the Facebook group that we have. And then also talked to some of them on the phone, emailed them, Facebook with them. We're always helping each other. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. For many, um, when you get to that point of view of wanting to be a business owner and, and flying the plane instead of serving the, the nuts and pretzels, 
it's it's distraction city everywhere you look there's distractions there's things that can pull you apart there's 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 decisions to make there's action to take there's people who want your attention there's fires to put out and that's in the end why most business owners get stopped from ever getting to the point of of, of continuously flying their plane which sadly increases the likelihood that that it'll never actually get to where you know their destination is the ceo um component if you like to get to that point and, I, and i'm genuinely teaching now at this point from a you know big strategic level it's the ability to focus on the one thing the one major thing that will uh, dictate your actions your effort and your energy for the next three months and having the confidence and the certainty to know what that is is really what the ceo is about you're right in that you have to reflect so before you can go forward and again this is a big one for people listening before you can go forward you've got to go back before you can make progress you must consider where you've come from and that's something that a lot of people don't do and it's very difficult to do on your own and unless you're forced to do it in this type of environment it's very difficult to reflect upon how the last three months have gone how did the last financial year go those are clues they're going to give you ideas as to where did you lose time where did you lose a track where did you lose focus before we start to think about what we're going to do next we might have to consider what we need to get rid of in order to make space because for many people they'll never be able to do or fulfill on even the best plan simply because they don't have the time or the focus to do it it's not that they don't have the discipline it's that they just don't have the focus or even the time so sometimes it's about pulling things away and knowing what things to pull away from and then ultimately what are the one or two things that you've got to focus on specifically in the next three months and what i love about you you always have great questions and you always come with one specific thing whether it's i want to sell more cash pay or i want to know how to train my staff to answer the phone or i just want to talk about my organizational chart or whatever it is that we've spoken about you know with you over the last few months there's always something very very specific and you're always taking notes and i've always noticed this with you i always i'm in anticipation of your uh, your recap if you like at the end of every session obviously we always do a, a recap where everybody gets to share what they've learned about the other person's hot seat Whenever I come to your group, I look forward to yours because you always have a lot to say in a good way and a great reflection point on um, things that people uh, have been going through in their sessions. And I think that's an underestimated um, benefit of these types of groups is that you not only get the benefit of people helping you, but you really get the benefit of you helping somebody else where you get to look inside of their business and think, "Mm, this is what I would do. And then from that, grow as a strategic thinker, as a problem solver, as somebody who understands business better and through somebody else's business, you actually get a chance to be a better business uh, owner and ultimately then have a better business. Yeah, actually, one of the things I took away that was the biggest thing last CEO meeting was something that another company was talking about and I applied it to my business and it actually really made a huge difference for me in our, in our profit. Um, and, and just in our, in our PVA, that was because we were having a little trouble with our percent schedules filled. And we had, we went for years having a really long wait list and all of a sudden we had openings. And so I get value not only out of what my time is, but also like you're saying, when, when you talk, when you hear what everybody else is, is, um, talking about too, because a lot of times you have some of the similar issues, even if that's not one you're bringing up for that time and taking the emotional attachment out of your specific business and having such a big difference because it seems so obvious when you're not in the business, what somebody should do, but it's just not when you're in it yourself. 
it's it, yeah it's so true with you you know that you know i mean i'm like that at the best of times uh zero emotion with my decisions but what i always um love about the ceo groups is we evolve them and, and people get more comfortable with each other they um are very emotional when they're in the hot seat and they, they often can defend their position and defend their you know their, their, their solution even that they don't want to do and yet everybody given the advice it's so blatantly obvious they're so logical with their advice and they're just kim just do this or you know whoever oscar just just this is what you need to do and everybody else in the room could see it and and we all are in absolute agreement with no emotion that that's the thing you need to do and even still for half an hour or an hour the business owner is defending it and it's like that's not what i want to do and i don't feel like i want to do that and then by the end it's like okay yeah you're right but then as soon as that business owner leaves the hot seat and they go to the the sort of uh the one involved in giving the the, the insight or the advice if you like they go very logical they go straight for brutal just do this and i watch that and it's one of the funniest things about running these uh, masterminds is how somebody defends and is emotional in the hot seat and what you should take from that as you listen to this, um, as the business owners are listening, is that your uh, actions are yours. And therefore, you have a tendency to defend them. And often, if you look around in life, when people make stupid mistakes, they're very, very unlikely to actually come out and say, yeah, I made a mistake. Moreover, what they do is they wake up the next day and they look for proof of why what they did was right, even though they knew it was wrong. We defend our actions. And as business owners, that gets us into a lot of trouble. So having a support group, having somebody to pull you apart, having somebody to play devil's advocate, to straight talk, to, to no BS talk, what you need to do is, I think, for most people who are in the group, that's, you know, ultimately just now it's tell me what to do and, and just tell me where to, to uh, you know, tell me where to go next. I trust the group. You haven't let me down so far. Give it to me. And I think that's starting to happen more and more uh, to your group, particularly that they're getting more trusting of each other uh, and the advice that's being given, knowing that um, it's very easy to say no to it. But really, the growth of the person and the growth of the company has to come from uh, from taking advice that makes you feel uncomfortable. Otherwise, you'd have already took that advice from somebody else or you'd have given it to yourself so it's important for the person listening to this to understand that i keep talking about these things we're really after optimizing the business owner and the way that we think and the way that we look at challenges where we step outside of ourselves and think differently about of our businesses that's where the magic is and that's where all of this starts to, to to take off for you know for business owners information's easy information's out there um but ultimately this is a completely different level of thinking about yourself and your uh business last question kim i'll let you go um knowing what you know now about business what would you do sooner or differently i would definitely get the sales and relationships building skills ingrained in every team member that we have interesting um, wow i've never n nobody's ever said that and it's it's brilliant i love it yeah Keep so going. i think i think that's really key to being able to have more control um motivate also motivating the team by showing how this can help them you know being able to get a raise and having a better working environment and how they can help their customers more and they can have better job satisfaction um so just showing it, showing and, it and, share, and have a ride on your yacht <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think that that you know just basically doing the same thing with staff that you do with customers is that listening to them and hearing what their needs are and and showing how we can get there and that you're on their side is I think really, really valuable because I feel like I have a team that really um, feels supported and yeah. 
they recognize now that I'm trying to do things to support the best working environment for them and the best outcomes that we can get as a team so that it can make us all have a better situation with our job yeah. satisfaction. Kim, it, it, your success and your growth doesn't surprise me one bit. You're an absolute credit to your company and, and um, the people that are hired by you should be, um, they should be thanking their lucky stars that they've got somebody like you that is their, uh, is their boss. Your commitment to learning and growing and just figuring all of this stuff out is a testament to yourself. And I can, I, I, without knowing that things are going well for you, I wouldn't need to know because I can see in you who you are and what you're about and what your commitment is uh, to, to getting on a plane, flying across country, coming to events, getting on calls and just wanting to figure out a better way to build that business for everybody's sake, not just, not just yours, not just the patients, not just um, you, but your staff included. And I think what, what's happening to you as more and more staff um, come on board with what you're doing, it's because of something that we touched on earlier. You're becoming more certain in what you're doing. And that's, again, a very strategic way of thinking about, you know, uh, your job as a business owner. A lot of business owners literally fumble their way through it all the way. And, 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 it, and they stink of it. They reek of uncertainty. Literally, they reek. Dan Kennedy taught me these things very early. You reek of uncertainty when you're running a business if you're not careful. And that uncertainty is what the patients pick up on when you're speaking to them on the phone. And it is what your staff equally pick up on when you're coming back with great ideas that they don't seem to want to buy into. And you can whinge and bitch and whine and moan about how you can't get staff and you know staff just don't want to support you. But ultimately, they won't support somebody that they don't believe in. And if they uh, need to, for them to believe in you, you have to believe in yourself. And for you to believe in yourself, it's it's mastery of the subject and the you know the the uh, the knowledge if you like that you need when it comes to this is why we're going to do sales training this is why we need to move out of network this is the reason that we're charging two hundred and fifty dollars and this is how we're going to do it and the more certain that you get in the actions that you're taking the more that people want to follow you that's what leaders are about people follow leaders that are certain. They've got something, they're attracted to something in you that they haven't got in themselves. And I believe that's most likely uh, knowing you as well as I do and as for long as I, I have uh, undoubtedly happening to you. You're obviously very thirsty for knowledge and information, but most importantly, um, you're willing to go back and execute and have the hard conversations with people um, that you need to have to get ultimately uh, the type of business that you can be proud of and, and where it is today. So well done to you. Very, very proud of you. Thank you. Kim, where can people get hold of you if they've got any questions or just follow you? Uh, tell us your website, uh, social handles and so on uh, that people can just work out what you're doing over there at PhysioFit to defy the Californian uh, norms as, as, uh, as such. What's going on? So our website is physiofitpt.com. And socially? Um, so... You mean for Facebook? Facebook, yeah. Where, where would they find you? What's your social uh, business Facebook page? So, let me see. It's always a sign of a good business owner when they don't know their social media handles. Well, yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> it's a good. I wouldn't have a clue what mine are, by the way. I wouldn't even know the telephone number in my office anymore, which is good. Yeah, I mean, it means you that you are well and truly out. Uh, well and truly out of the day-to-day -day running of that business exactly, if, you, yeah. if you don't even know what the telephone number is in the office and what your social media handles are 
Well, <laughs> at the bottom of our website, you can. I'll find them for you. Yeah. They're, they're Jake, producer up. Jake will find them. Producer Jake will find Kim's uh, Twitter handles and Facebook and all all the stuff for you to, because you are actually quite active on those channels and your team. So it's a it's a good social uh, channel to follow. So I'll find them for you, Kim. Don't worry. PhysioFit will put your website on there as well and uh, okay. get a few people looking at what you're up to because there's a lot of good things happening over there in uh, San Jose. So, Kim, thank you. Thanks for your time. I know we've uh, run over an hour. Uh, I appreciate you. It's been a great interview. Great lessons uh, from a fabulous leader of a business. Uh, lots of uh, good learning there for people who are either just starting uh, out and want to avoid some lessons uh, and also for people who might be a little bit stuck right now and worrying about insurances it's been a great interview so Kim thank you very much appreciate your time as always and I'll see you uh, here in Orlando in uh, a couple of weeks time alright thank you thank you for listening to the Pool Golf Audio Experience if you like what you hear and you'd like to find out how to convert more cash pay patients at much higher prices Come and join Paul at his two-day annual sales conversions bootcamp happening this December 7 to 8 in the magical Orlando. You'll learn how to double your treatment room and front desk conversions in just 48 hours. Head on over to paulgoff.com forward slash sales to secure your seat now. And if you book before November 22nd, you can save $1,000 off your ticket. That's paulgoff.com forward slash sales. Until next time, have a wonderful day.